Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I wanna welcome this week's guest, Hillary Peterson, to our show today. Hillary is the founder of True Botanicals, a clean skincare brand on a mission to deliver non-toxic and sustainable products. At the age of 32, just giving birth to two beautiful twin babies, Hillary was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. She describes that moment as a wake-up call and took a serious look at how she could better support her health in every possible way. She realized that her beauty products were full of toxins and she couldn't believe that there weren't stricter regulations protecting our health. With this new awareness, Hillary tried searching for skincare products that gave her the results she wanted without risking exposure to toxins. Her search was unsuccessful at the time, which is how True Botanicals was born. We talked to Hillary about her varied career path and how after many years of working for others, she ultimately fell into the entrepreneurial path. We hear about how her past experience in banking and working at Levi's helped her start her own business, which she self-funded and began building from her living room. We also discussed the steps she took to get her brand noticed and gain organic celebrity endorsements, which completely changed the trajectory of her business. We also chat about what Hillary has learned while running her business for the past nine years, from fundraising and building a team to avoiding burnout and so much more. Welcome to the show, Hillary. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I've been an admirer of your brand for years, so this is an exciting one for me. I'd love to start with a higher level question, and it was something that really resonated with me when I was doing a little bit more of the prep on your background, but you've mentioned that so many of us can easily tie our self-worth to our accomplishments, and we're always trying to prove ourselves, and this is something I constantly work on. So really from your experience, how do you think we can step into our power without feeling like we do need to prove ourselves in every single aspect? You know, it's so interesting how culturally accomplishments have really been rewarded. And even when you talk about a person, often there will be a list of accomplishments that describe whomever it might be. And what I've realized is if I think about what brings me the most joy in my life, it's connection to the people around me. It's spending time in nature, which I find so incredibly nourishing and fulfilling. And it's the love, really, that's in my life, whether it's with the people that I work with, my children, my husband, my friends. And so when I blend that into my perspective of what it means to live a productive, fulfilled, happy mm. life, I feel like it helps to smooth out some of my perspective on it was a good week at work. It was a bad week at work. I have a lot of challenges. There are no challenges. You know, well, okay, I've never said there are no challenges, <laughs> but you know, there are more or less. And so I've really enjoyed as I've gotten older, mm. a much, I would say, less bumpy perception of myself up and down and really seeing that effort is so important versus outcome and enjoying the journey is really the big win. 
And so, yeah, I feel like that's something that also can create, that's the last thing I'll say, you know, from a work perspective, I think it can create the most positive work culture because then Mm. I think you're much more apt to come at opportunities and challenges with a growth mindset because there's less pressure on the immediate successful outcome. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, this is something I'm thinking a lot about. I'm only a year and a half into my own entrepreneurial journey and, if what I'm easily recognizing, and everybody knows this conceptually is like, you don't want to tie yourself to the outcome. But I don't know what it is about starting your own business where it's like the best training ground and really understanding that because as you know, every day can be so different. You are dealing with so many curveballs. And these are all beautiful things when you're growing that I just realized, you know, I don't want to go back into my old days of Yasmin when I was in investment banking, and it was just so intense. And it's like, how do we create this beautiful world where we're running a business and still managing the chaos with a growth mindset, like you said, because as you're running a team, it's not the most empowering when the leader is having like a fear-based mindset and you're kind of asking questions or you're not asking the right questions. I think about this a lot of why are we really doing this? Like, what are the joys in life? Are you enjoying the journey? And if you're not, what are some things you can do to incorporate in your life? Like you said, you know, a few things that stand out is you love nature. You know that about yourself. So nourishing that is important. Spending time with your family, connection. These are all, it sounds so simple, but like if you know what fuels you, especially as an entrepreneur, like I think that is really a superpower. You've been doing this for over eight years and I'd love to get your thoughts. How much of running a business and a successful business is a mindset game versus like purely execution? Oh gosh, I'd have to say such a significant percentage because here's the thing. You can see challenges as so overwhelming that you don't even know where to move or you can be with them. I think this mindset has always been really important to me. Be with the challenges, absorb them, think about them. And it's amazing how trusting that there will always be a solution. Hmm. For me, in my experience, means there has always been a solution. And okay, this is a really simple, silly example, but I do think it's really funny. I've decided, because my dad had decided, that I have great parking karma. So whenever I go to park my car, I find a great parking place. Literally, it's hilarious. And the kids will even say, oh, well, is mom in the car? Then we'll find a parking place. I mean, (laughs) it's so funny. And if you assume there's going to be that parking place, you Mm. will find it. And I think the same is true with the business. Whereas if you assume that a challenge could be insurmountable, you can easily make it that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. No, this is amazing. I'm excited to go into more of the details of your business. But I actually, you know, you mentioned your dad. I'd love to talk more about your upbringing. From my understanding, both your parents were entrepreneurs. So I'm sure it was fun kind of having a front row seat of what it really takes to build something from scratch. But really now looking back at your childhood, how do you think your parents influenced, whether it's your mindset and really how you approached your life? Oh my gosh, there's so many ways. I mean, I will say one of the most important things I have circulating through my mind that my mom used to say is there's a solution to every problem. Mm. That she just believed that and she lived it. And so she gave me the confidence to live that. And it doesn't mean you can necessarily change everything that you might want to change, but how do you work with it? How do you want to respond So I would say that's a huge influence for me. 
And then I just saw my dad live the daily ups and downs of being an entrepreneur and having his own business and ultimately not only surviving, but thriving. And not only was my dad an entrepreneur, but my grandparents were entrepreneurs. And so this is just, I think that confidence that you can build something beautiful and Mm -hmm. long lasting is something that was just really ingrained in me and my sisters. I mean, it's interesting because I have three sisters and we're all entrepreneurs. I didn't know that. Really, Hillary? That's amazing. We all have our own businesses. Yes. It's interesting because I also grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and it just reminded me, my dad always says like the sky never falls, kind of going to like what your mom says, there's always a solution. It's such a mindset that you need to have as a founder. But also as a kid, you briefly alluded to this too, but I saw so many of the lows and the highs. Like we had amazing highs and we've had lows. And sometimes that will deter the child to not start their own business because they see like the work that goes into it every day. But did you have that graduating from college? Because I know you didn't ultimately jump into entrepreneurship, but did you have any hesitations starting your own business because you saw really like the behind the scenes of your parents? You know, I think in the end, probably I saw enough resiliency on their parts that I felt like it was going to be doable. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, I certainly didn't see myself as ready to take on my own venture when I was in my 20s. So, I mean, I think in a way it's probably good. I was realistic and optimistic. So, you know, I got a lot of really great training at places like I was in banking initially. I worked in marketing at Levi's for a long time, amazing company. So I got a lot of experience first and it was interesting. I don't feel like I went out and found this entrepreneurial venture. It found Mm. me. Wow. Which was exciting. I feel like I was open to this and I envisioned it would happen at some point. And the moment actually defined itself. It's not something that I made happen. I love that. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of people who want to start businesses, but may not be ready in a sense of maybe their skill sets aren't ready or they don't have the right idea. And I think similar to you, which I think is great, like we had such a varied career before even launching, like looking at your journey, right? You mentioned you were in banking. I believe you worked at an agency as well at some point. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yes. I Uh love it. And then you were at Levi's, which we'll talk about, but you had so many pivots in your life and it ultimately gave you the confidence to kind of go off on your own, which I think is awesome. But kind of going back a little bit, looking at your college, what you were studying, you're a poli-sci major with a concentration in French and Spanish. So your career took multiple turns, but I'm just curious, like really thinking about that first job in banking, How did you fall into that role? You know, that's kind of the world I come from. So I just love meeting other people who have just such a different background that decide to go down that path. But how did that first job really kind of shape you? And what got you excited about taking that path? You know, it was largely life's circumstances. Because I did speak two languages and I really enjoyed travel, I was envisioning some kind of international business role. And I had some really interesting interviews. I was super excited about it. And my parents were actually getting divorced at the time. And my little sister was living at home by herself. And I just wanted to go home and be there during Mm -hmm. that time of a lot of flux for her. And it was such ultimately a gift for me because I ended up interviewing for this banking job. It looked super interesting. It was a two-year training program. I learned so much from that job. And I 
refer to it all the time in terms of what I was doing basically is analyzing businesses and figuring out which were the best bets. So we figured out how to uncover all the things that people didn't want us to see. So that was great training for me. It was a wonderful job. It was wonderful to be home for that time. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's basically how that happened. It's interesting. You know, I had a very different plan and yet this ended up being the perfect move. I love it. I mean, I I think that's important because sometimes our careers can have just so many different pivots and you don't realize how all the dots are going to connect until later in life. And looking at you being in banking, you mentioned that really resonated. And then I know you ended up really going on the client side, right? And learning how to build a brand and storytell. So I'd love to kind of hear your experience there because going from banking to Levi's, that's not a common jump that you see. Typically people stay in banking or they stay in the world of finance, but you took a big leap. So tell me more about how that experience was for you. Yeah. So basically I quickly realized that while I really appreciated the experience I was getting in banking, it wasn't the perfect fit for my personality and the way I like to think and the kinds of projects I love to sink my teeth into. And I won't get into all the details. There was a job in between banking and Levi's, but it brought me to one of the roles in my life professionally that I consider one of my favorites that I've ever had. I started at Levi's in retail marketing and I did that for about a year. And then I moved over and in my mid twenties, I became the 501 jeans ad manager, which was just so much fun, so interesting yeah. to work on such an iconic brand. And ultimately, I would say the most important thing, and then I worked in several other roles at Levi's over the years, which I really loved, ultimately leading the Women's Jeans Marketing Group. And what that experience gave me is the ability to really think about everything that we do from mm-hmm. a consumer perspective. The consumer is number one. Where are they? How do they feel? What are they thinking? How can we connect and how can we best meet their needs? Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. 
But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. And I think like you mentioned, Levi's is just an iconic brand and for you to work on 501, right? Was that the name of the line? Yeah, I I remember that. No, that was a really big one. But so you mentioned, you know, it really helped you think about the consumer. You were there for many years. Are there any other lessons that you think you really took from working at just such a established and, you know, an incredible brand? Well, I think beyond the marketing learnings that I took away, Levi's is an exceptional company that treats his employees very well. So I learned a lot about management, taking care of people, company values, and making sure that those values permeate the work environment. It was a really fun place to work and they did a great job of making it that. So I certainly learned a lot from that perspective as well. And I would say it's one of the reasons I highly recommend people get experience from a larger company. Because I could really look at business from so many different angles, not just my immediate job, which I found really helpful. Yeah, I think so too. And it's interesting when I was leaving banking, actually, I wanted to, I have very similar feelings when I was there. I knew I wanted to do something different. And I met with this venture capitalist up in SF. And I was like, how do I kind of break into the world of startups and companies? And he was like, you know what? I would recommend because you haven't had that experience to work at a larger company, one that has like product market fit a little bit bigger, just so you can kind of understand the lay of the land a little bit before jumping right into like, a three-person startup coming from banking. And similar to you, it was the best decision I ever made. And you kind of learn, you have the opportunity to learn from all these different teams. You understand how business works. You just have more opportunity to learn and grow when the company's been a little bit more established. But I I love that because it was huge in my learnings and was so beneficial in now starting my own business. So just want to underscore that. And, you know, I know, so you were at Levi's for quite a bit of time. And I know there was a few life circumstances that really prompted you to eventually leave Levi's and really kind of think through skincare. So can you kind of walk us through what happened and how your interest really shifted to this new industry and new world? Yes. So I was always very interested in wellness. That was just something ingrained in me from my childhood experience growing up in Southern California, healthy food, time in nature, all that kind of stuff. And in my early 30s, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And that was an igniting moment for me 
to really take a look at, okay, well, what else haven't I looked at in terms of health and wellness? I'm not saying that my lifestyle caused the cancer, but once you've had an experience like that, and I had young children, there was no doubt I wanted to do everything I could to live the healthiest possible life. And through that exploration, I was really shocked to find that my skincare products had toxins in them, and specifically endocrine-disrupting toxins, which your thyroid is the central part of your endocrine system. And I just thought, Mm. wow, that is really crazy, not logical to me at all. And that set me off on a mission to prove that the products that prioritize the health of people and the planet can be the most effective. Absolutely. And before we go into that a little bit, I'm so glad to hear that you have overcame thyroid cancer. I know you had very young twins at the time. Kind of like looking back at that moment, outside of you really questioning other wellness initiatives that you can do, and yes, skincare is massive and like your skin is a largest, like such a massive part of your body. So it's important to look at everything that goes on there. But did it shift the way you thought about anything else in your life, like whether it's personal or professional? when you were kind of going through just such a tough and traumatic time in your life? Yes. I mean, I would definitely say whenever you have that kind of experience, it's hard not to think about impermanence and the fact that this is my one and only life and how do I want to live it and how do I want to spend my time? And I think that that definitely was part of my inspiration Mm. for finding a role in the world that blended my spiritual beliefs, my ethical beliefs, and my professional goals. It's unfortunate that something like that has to happen for people to realize, like, we only have this one life. Like, what do you want to do? What what do you want to create for yourself? So I think that's super powerful. And tell me more about the transition out of Levi's. You know, you're, you're going through this tough time. You're questioning everything that's on your skin, but you didn't necessarily jump into starting True Botanicals at the time. So how was that slow transition into the industry at that point in your career? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Levi's was such a great company. And one thing that I was able to do following my thyroid cancer diagnosis was to work several years as a consultant for them, which was really helpful to me just to be able to sort of slow things down a little bit. Because I also had twins and I will say parenting twins is really something else. Now that I've had one child, I'm like, okay, no comparison. (laughs) And so life was pretty busy and crazy and I'd had the thyroid cancer and I just thought, you know what? I just want to slow things down. So I did that and I just kept learning and growing. And definitely because I had learned what I had about the skincare industry, I started to do more and more research and I was able through a variety of circumstances to be able to consult some of the world's leading scientists and skincare experts and sustainability experts. So I was learning a lot as I was taking a little bit of time for myself and just doing some consulting for Levi's. Yeah. And I know at some point you were mentioning that you were doubling down on your interests, you were working and consulting different companies. At one point, I believe you became CEO of, I believe it, it was a skincare brand. I don't know, were you consulting at the time with them? Yes, it was a local Bay Area skincare company, and it was very small. And together, we grew the business quite a bit. And ultimately, it became apparent that we had really different goals for ourselves. And you know, for me personally, I had such a strong desire to truly change the complexion of the skincare industry. Like I wanted to have a significant impact. And so I was game for 
raising money and really investing in an idea that I thought could make a big impact, which I'm really excited to see that it is. It's yeah. really incredible to see how our growth is is spurring change. Absolutely. And I'm curious because I just love also how you entered in that world and were working with a smaller business because like you said, you were just passionate about learning and seeing what's out there. And I think you had reached out and you're like, I love what you're doing. Let me help with marketing. And then you ultimately ended up partnering with the woman and became the CEO. And you were there for a few years. But did you always envision that you were going to kind of go off on your own? Or do you think that experience of you working alongside another business, you realize like you wanted to do more, that there's so much potential that maybe the founder wasn't really seeing eye to eye with you? Like, was it that experience that pushed you to do your own thing? I think it was more the latter, where I really wanted to have the ability to do this in the way that I felt could have the biggest impact. You eventually decided to go off on your own, like you just had mentioned. And, you know, I'm curious, there's one thing that you mentioned in an interview where you were used to like a double income household, right? Anyone taking the leap to start your own business is very scary. But tell me more, like, did you have any fears that came up for you guys financially? Because you also had two young kids at the time. And how did you kind of manage such a big transition of, leaving a, you know, a company that you were leading to then going off on your own and starting True Botanicals? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think in the end, it always requires a leap of faith. And that mm. was just the moment for me to do it. And fortunately, my husband saw the potential for what I was thinking about. And we just decided we were going to go for it, basically. And ultimately, you know, what it meant was simplifying what we were doing for many years. But then again, back to my point earlier in this conversation, it was actually a really great time to be simplifying because we had young kids and mm. spending time with them and being outside. I mean, you don't need to be traveling a ton and doing wow. that kind of stuff to really have your kids have an amazing childhood. So, you know, I would say we dialed things back a lot and we both focused on work and our kids and that ended up being a great thing, but it definitely required a leap of faith. And fortunately, the momentum for the business was pretty solid from the start. Yeah. So tell me more about those super early days, right? So I know you guys ended up launching, starting out with 12 to 15 products, which is quite a feat, like just for your first initial launch. But tell me more about that experience and really what the early days of True Botanicals look like to get those products out. So I knew from my experience with my prior role that word of mouth and establishing a real reputation for the products in the brand was key. So I started off with a heavy focus on PR and spending time in New York, meeting with editors, sharing the products. And early on, we had done a clinical trial against a leading moisturizer and the product dramatically outperformed that moisturizer. So then what I did is I took that information and brought it to New York. I've never really wanted to mention other brands. At one point, I had a CEO yeah. who wanted to be more hard hitting and mention the names of brands. And ultimately, we've taken the stance of we can say like, I mean, for instance, this moisturizer I'm talking about is a global iconic leading moisturizer. So that's all anybody really needs to sure. know. But with editors, I was able to say, this is the moisturizer. Here are the results. This is how our product outperforms so that I could get them to take the product home and use it. And that's how we developed an initial 
cult following for what still is one of our core products, our Renew Pure Radiance Oil. Mm -hmm. And it makes a really dramatic difference in your skin within a couple of weeks. And so it's an incredible product for retention. And it just helped us to build a really solid foundation for the brand and a great cult following. And from there, we just built out all the other basic needs that you would have for your skincare. Yeah. So I think, you know, really focusing on that one product that is amazing and can be game changing, because like you said, that's how you build the word of mouth. That's how you build the cult following and ultimately retention, which you guys have done such a great job in doing. But I'm curious, you know, in those early days, were you funding your business yourself? I know you didn't initially raise capital, but how did you think about funding the business? Because launching with a suite of products is quite expensive. So how were those early days of just kind of getting those few products off the ground? And how did you think about funding then? Yeah, so self-funded, and we had to make a lot of decisions around what was financially feasible. So as an example, when you look at what our packaging was like in those days, we invested enough to make it feel luxurious, but it's nothing like our packaging today. And so it was just making those choices. We focused on investing in the products themselves, the quality of the ingredients. And we were literally blending the products ourselves for those early years. And I had an amazing small team that I was working with. Two of the three team members that I worked with then are are still working at True Botanicals. They're incredible. So it was just really about step-by-step versus having to make big investments. I mean, because some people will start a brand like this and do a huge run of, you know, 5,000 units. We didn't do it that way. We definitely sort of, it was more of a ground up product by product, blending them ourselves. And then ultimately now, you know, we're with several contract manufacturers. I love that. And I think that's important because like you said, some people, when we launched our business, everyone's like, how are you thinking about launch? What are you going to do? And I'm like, honestly, we're not making it a big deal because we want to see, does it resonate with people? How is the market resonating with our product? And we didn't think too much about it in terms of like putting money behind this marketing because we just want to see slowly, like, can we just connect with the different customers and see how they love what we've created? So I think going back to what you were saying, creating it from your house, really like slowly building the products with the right team, I think is important because in those early days, you don't know what resonates or not. And I'm curious, at what point were you realizing, okay, you're really onto something right now? Like you're building this from your house, you're slowly building that traction with your customers, you're doing PR. But at what point were you like, okay, this is a real business and I feel really confident to now double down on it? So we had office space, a small office space in downtown Mill Valley. And it was amazing. You know, we sat behind this curtain and people would come to the front part and buy product directly. And we'd hear everybody's stories about what the product was doing for their skin. And we would hear over and over again, I've never had a product work like this for me. Like your products actually make a difference. And so we did really feel like we were onto something because we were hearing again, Mm -hmm. you know, I mentioned to you my time at Levi's and how keeping the consumer at the center of everything that you do was something I took away from that. And hearing those responses and understanding the difference that our products were making certainly was incredibly encouraging. Also just hearing it from my sisters and my mom and my friends, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, I had really irritated rosacea prone skin and now it's so happy and calm. We have a calm line. People would say, oh, your skin's glowing or it looks radiant. And 
things that people had never really heard before. So I would say that was kind of step one. And then step two, which was equally exciting, is that all of a sudden, really influential people in the world of beauty were using and loving the products and couldn't stop talking about them. So Olivia Wilde really loved the products and we ended up developing a partnership with her. Laura Dern actually sent me an email, a love letter saying that she couldn't believe what the products did for her skin on the set of Big Little Lies. Oh my gosh. And she ultimately became a partner. Zossie Beats worked with us for a while and she has such gorgeous skin and she tried the products and because we never have worked with any influencers who don't use and love the products because we really feel that the authenticity of these testimonials is what matters. Mm -hmm. So we were just hearing all of them say like, I've never again had a product work like this for me before in this way. And that's when I really, really knew that we were onto something and had the confidence Mm. that it was probably a good time to raise funds and really put our feet on the gas. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's incredible. That was one of my questions. You've had such amazing organic growth through these various celebrities and influential people who genuinely use a product. And sometimes people think like celebrities will move the trajectory of the business. Did you see the business kind of grow? I know Olivia Wilde was like one of the early ones who loved your brand, but did that impact the growth and the next phase of True Botanicals? It did positively. Each of our partnerships has had a really beneficial impact on the business, which is very exciting to see. Once we were reaching that momentum, it was about reaching more people. And it's like we gave each of these celebrities a megaphone to help share our story and the efficacy of the products and our commitment to sustainability and the health of people on the planet. And it came from such a genuine place that I think that really resonated. Mm. And I think that's why it worked because it's really interesting. I can go out and survey 10 people who are in marketing and five of them could say celebrity partnerships work and five of them could say celebrity partnerships don't work. And there's very strong opinions on both sides of the discussion. And I ultimately really believe that authentic testimonials for your products, clinical studies, all of these proof points that reinforce that these products really are what people are hoping to find. That's ultimately what makes the big difference from my perspective. Yeah, you're right. Cause you do hear mixed things, you know, even with like certain PR hits or like you think you would get all these orders, but you don't. But I think like you mentioned, the biggest thing that really helps is genuine authenticity of somebody using your brand and really enjoying it and communicating it. And you guys have the clinical research behind it and all the facts behind it to support even them loving the product. So it's like, you can't go wrong when they're the face or one of the faces of your brands to really help build that traction. And you mentioned, you know, once Olivia Wilde came, she was one of the earlier influencers that really made an impact. You were confident to start fundraising and take the company to the next level. So can you tell me more about just maybe some of the biggest lessons that you've had in fundraising? I know you guys have raised, is it over maybe like 15 million to date so far? That's about right. Yeah. Roughly. So I know fundraising is a beast in itself, but what are maybe some of the lessons that you learned through that process or maybe a few things that you wish you knew when you were kind of going down that path? I think the most important thing, whether it's seed investors or your first Series A, in going through that process, securing the funds are obviously, that's very important. But in addition, asking yourself 
are these the people that I want to have around the table with me mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future? And you don't know how long that will be. And you don't know what ups and downs will come your way. I think it's really important to be aware that you are picking partners that you'll be working very, very closely with. So I would just say to me, that's sort of the key learning. Otherwise, I really see fundraising to be a lot like marketing a product, which is effective storytelling and making sure that you're helping to bring to life the vision and the opportunity for this brand. I mean, in addition to all the numerical work that needs to be done, which I'm happily not responsible for. (laughs) I can talk about it, but I didn't have to do all that. So yes, I mean, I think it's a really important decision point. And not only do you feel good about the decision, but I do think vetting your investors through references that maybe you weren't even provided is a really great idea too. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask like in terms of how to get more familiar with the investors and its references, but, and I like what you mentioned, even outside of the ones they mentioned, seeing who else have they invested in reaching out to those founders, because I think sometimes when you're going down the process of fundraising, you're so focused on just getting the money, getting it done. And I know you probably had a ton of meetings where you're not really thinking like, are they going to add value to me? Is this going to be the right partnership to me? And that's one thing that so many women, including yourself, bring up in these podcasts is just make sure you know who you're getting into a relationship with because it's like a marriage, right? You're with them for a while through ups and downs. So I think that is super important. And looking back at your journey, can you kind of walk through the timeline, how long you were self-funded and at what point did you really start raising capital moving forward? So I was self-funded for about two years and then we did our first raise. So I was starting to hear rumblings of celebrity passion for the product, beauty editor passion for the product. And it was around that time that we decided to go ahead and raise the funds. And then we actually didn't bring Olivia on until we had accomplished that first raise because there's just a lot of investing that you want to do once that happens in terms of PR, advertising, everything. It just sort of ramped up from there. So it was after about two years and it made a tremendous difference. We've been growing dramatically ever since. That's incredible. And I love how you were in business for about two years to prove product market fit, to make sure that it's resonating. And then you raise money versus some people do it very early on when they're not even sure like how people's reactions are to their product and they don't have enough time to pivot. But I love the timeline that you guys really, really had. You know, you mentioned seven years, you know, running this business, seven, eight years, having this tremendous growth year over year is tough, right? Because marketing is always changing. The consumer is changing. You need to approach them in different avenues. Social media is shifting all the time. What would you say outside of word of mouth that you mentioned was so pivotal in those early days have really helped you maintain this growth trajectory year over year? I think one thing that was just an incredible pivotal step for me was to hire a CEO who's a beauty industry veteran, an incredible person. We have such a great collaborative relationship. And she in turn brought on people who really understand this industry. And I feel like they're helping us to continue to evolve in a way that emulates beauty industry best practices while innovating and doing things differently. I feel like I there was just a point where I needed that additional expertise. And it's been really exciting to see the difference that it's made. 
The team's in, incredible. And initially, my vision, for instance, was to be a D2C brand. Yeah. I saw so many benefits to being a D2C beauty brand. And I really wanted to push that exclusively. Although it's a longer story. I really wanted to push D2C exclusively. And yet when we took some detours and for instance, got the products into some beautiful spas, we also saw what that did for us in terms of lead generation and bringing really? new people to the brand. Yes, absolutely. Great. And so we dabbled enough to know there was probably a world for us beyond just D2C. And it was bringing in this incredible CEO who's really helped us to identify the benefit of being an omni-channel brand at this point. And we've mm -hmm. been over the last several years, she's now been with us for almost three years. We've been adding more and more retailers to the mix. And I think it's very complimentary. It's helping us to be, we're still, we had phenomenal growth last year. I'm so proud of our team and we're building both businesses, but I really am seeing the benefit to adding retail to the mix and some of these best practices that I mentioned that she's brought to our efforts. That's so helpful. It's interesting because that transition of bringing in a CEO and you kind of taking a different role, I'm sure wasn't easy, right? Like I know your baby, you've kind of been leading and controlling, but sometimes you realize that other people might have different skill sets, different viewpoints that might help the business in addition to everything that you continue to bring to the table. But how was that transition for you kind of bringing on a CEO in the business? I had brought on one other okay. and it was not the same kind of fit relative to how we look at what it means to build a brand and to build a brand that's going to stand the test of time. And so I don't want to make it sound like this fairy tale experience because I had a lot of ups and downs leading up to this moment of bringing on Sandy, our CEO. And I would say that by the time I met her, I was so excited and relieved to have her bringing her expertise to my dream and my vision. So it can be hard. There's no question that, I mean, I would say the main challenge is she's exceptionally talented Mm -hmm. And she's strong and she's motivated and she has brought on the most talented team. I just cannot believe the quality of the people I get to work with every day. They're incredible. And as a founder, it's hard to let go of certain aspects of your vision. And I knew from the start, based on prior learning experience, that that was going to be essential to our success. And also advice from people that I really respect. Yeah. And so was it easy? No, but I brought a lot of discipline to creating a lot of room for them to do their best work. And as a result, and maybe also because they're such incredibly strong leaders, they've also been very curious about my vision and understanding what matters most and why. And they're continuing to build this brand that feels very much connected to the original vision. So it's a give and take thing. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like the right fit actually makes it easier than I could have ever imagined. 
Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that, I feel like bringing in the right person can just be so game changing, but it takes a lot to find that person. Like you said, it didn't oh happen gosh. overnight. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like a full-time a job, really. Yeah. It was a huge, it was like a full-time job, but it was worth every effort. And again, oh, I love you that. know, I was not saying, can you give me four references and I'm going to call them. Yep. I worked with a really great search person and we checked references in every way possible and I had every confidence we were hiring the right person, and we did, which is just such a wonderful feeling. That's awesome. And you know, going back to maybe like the earlier days when you were still the CEO, do you remember maybe one or two of the key hires that really helped move the trajectory of the business? Yes, we hired a VP of marketing who came from Levi's. Oh, cool. And again, it's really helpful, I think, when you speak a common language and you have similar disciplinary approaches to an opportunity. She made a really huge difference, and I loved having the opportunity to work with her. We had a great growth marketing team in place, and they certainly really helped us to take some big leaps forward. And then the steady contributions of the team that had always been with me, that always made sure that we made consistently beautiful products was yeah. essential. They were like this underlying provider of still waters in terms of quality of the products and availability of our products. So, you know, it's sort of new people and the steadiness of the old people. Yeah. And I'm curious, I've talked to a lot of women on this podcast about how those early hires that you do, you know, they're more generalists. They're with you. They're like hand-to-hand combat earlier in the business. And as, you know, like True Botanicals is growing, it's kind of tough to find the right fit for them because the business is becoming more of, I don't want to say siloed, but it just is becoming larger. There's different departments or different responsibilities. Has it been hard to maintain that loyalty with that early team that was coming to your house and helping you build these products as you continue to grow? Like, How have you supported them or how has that experience been as the CEO of really just building this brand? Well, I feel so lucky because my two earliest hires are the ones that are still here. And I think because they're talented with a growth mindset. They were able to adapt and they add so much value still today, which is so helpful. And I mean, I'll just put myself in that generalist box. You know, I feel like all the things that made me the entrepreneur that I needed to be in those early, say, four years are the same supporting evidence. Those skills provide the supporting evidence that somebody else would be a better fit as our CEO. So Mm. it was really interesting. I mean, not everybody is like this, but I think a lot of times what makes somebody an incredible entrepreneur aren't necessarily the skills that make for an incredible CEO. Sometimes, yes. And also, I just had to be really honest with myself and say, what do I love to do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do I want to spend my time? And I think that that shift also really was so productive in that area as well, because I can focus on the things that mean so much to me and where I feel like I can add the most value. So I would say they weren't the only ones, you know, in that situation. Yeah. I really put myself in that box too. And it's really exciting to see how we and the business have evolved. Uh, I love that. And I think like you mentioned, it's so important to have a growth mindset because even what I've seen in my own journey, it's like a certain skill set that you have will get your business from 
zero to like mid six figures. And then another skill set's required to take it to mid six figures to over a million, you know, and you're constantly having to grow as a person to kind of move the business forward because you don't have all the answers. You have to like turn into someone and, and learn from others and bring in the right team to kind of get you to the next milestone. So I can envision you doing this four or five years and realizing like, maybe I need to bring somebody else to just add to my skill sets of taking the business to the next level because you're constantly changing. And like you said, being that generalist and that entrepreneur that takes something off the ground, you might not necessarily love the running of, you know, a multi-million dollar business because there's also a lot of administrative aspects. That come exactly. With that too. Exactly. Yes. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't even want to do an expense report. So yeah. 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 <laughs> totally, totally. Well, you know, we've mentioned just so many amazing things about the business and the growth that you guys have seen and the amazing word of mouth and influencers that have been involved. But have there been maybe one or two challenges that maybe you can walk through that you really stand out looking at the last eight years of the business that you've had to overcome? I would say the first challenge that comes to mind was this misperception that products that are made with ingredients that are undeniably safe can be equally effective. I think everybody really felt like, well, there's science-based products and then there are nature-based products. And yet nature is at the heart of science. And so I think helping people to break down that barrier and really embrace the fact that clean products can be incredibly effective, that was challenge number one. And we're still thinking of creative ways to make sure that that's clear to people, that our products are outperforming leading conventional brands supported Mm -hmm. by scientific studies, and there are no toxins in our brand. That's just something that we feel really strongly about. And we're very committed to sustainability. And so I think shifting those perceptions was Mm -hmm. a big marketing challenge. And in terms of another big challenge, I mean, I know this is going to sound crazy, but forever we are looking to push our sustainability commitment in how we package our products. And a lot of times we're just waiting for technology to catch up with us. You know, we still have plastic closures, but we package our products in glass bottles and aluminum, the two most easily recycled materials. So continuing to push for that evolution and stay on the top of what's available, whether it's the types of ingredients that we use or our packaging has been a huge opportunity and, you know, sometimes a challenge, but super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And has there ever been any moments where you lost, let's say like a significant amount of money, whether it was a co-packer run that didn't go well, or a certain market initiative that you and the team were excited about that maybe didn't resonate as well as you should, but any learnings from anything that might have not gone well that was a big hit to the business financially? No, I'm very excited to say that I don't have an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the closest thing would be early on. So we've made safe certified all of our products. And early on, when we were going through the made safe certification, what they do is look at every ingredient and sub ingredient. And a lot of toxins are hidden in the sub ingredients, the preservation system for an ingredient. And our ingredient supplier had not disclosed to us that there was BHT preserving our retinol. So we were making a product with BHT in it and we didn't know it. And that was definitely a crisis in just in terms of making a really tough decision. But we thought about it overnight once we knew. And we 
actually called up Women's Wear Daily and we made an announcement. You know, we discovered this ingredient in our product and it was our number two selling product. Wow. So we discontinued our number two selling product. And since then, we've actually developed a retinol alternative that I would much rather use anyway, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. But that takes time. And yeah, it was just one of those decisions where we prioritized our values and our commitment. And that was stressful. I mean, I can just sweat thinking about it because, yeah. you know, discontinuing your number two product is yeah. not something anybody ever wants to do. That's huge. And the, But the fact that you guys were so transparent, that you put the announcement out there, that you discontinued it, I think it just shows the values of the business. But that I'm sure was not easy at all. I mean, people ask me this question too. They're like, what have been your biggest mistakes? Luckily, knock on wood, similarly, there hasn't been anything big, but there was one time where one of our manufacturing runs didn't go well the taste was off. There was something off. And as a super small business at the time, similar to you, I was like, we cannot sell this. This is going to make or break our business. Like we have to completely toss it out. We found new suppliers and you know, it's the right thing to do, even if financially it's a big hit for the business, but it's just, it didn't feel right to continue with these products, which we could have easily still sent out, but it's just, it's not okay. But yeah, for a number two selling product, I'm sure that was not easy, but the right thing to do. I'm sure not easy for you either, but it is amazing, right? I mean, the other thing I learned from my parents at a very young age was, you know, do the right thing. Yeah. And it's interesting how when you come at, you did the right thing. You know, you came at that decision from the perspective of what do we want our customers to take away from this? What do we want their experience to be? And so similarly, the decision wasn't that hard when we prioritized that philosophy. Absolutely. And like at the end of the day, you have to make the right decision so you could sleep at night. And that's like how I make all the decisions. Like whatever feels right to my gut, we're going to go with it because I'm the one that has to like think about it all the time, sleep on it. But I love that. I love that. Well, you know, one thing I'd love to end on, I'd love to get your perspective on what would you think has been maybe the greatest lesson that you've learned in the eight years of you running this business? I'm sure there's so many things that you can kind of bring up, but any lesson that you've learned personally or professionally over the past eight years of growing True Botanicals? You know, this may surprise you. It kind of surprises me, but it's what comes to mind immediately is I feel like it takes so much determination to succeed as an entrepreneur. Just waking up every day and being determined to make it happen, make things work. And I think one of my biggest lessons has been there are a lot of times where letting go is the smartest thing that you Mm. could do. And so I think it's balancing determination with letting go and letting the path reveal itself. Sometimes a pause and absorbing information Mm. makes a lot of sense. And it's not all about driving forward and pushing every minute of the day. So it's interesting because I feel like that's as applicable to being a parent as it is to growing a business. There's a lot of moments where I wonder what I'm supposed to do as a parent and it becomes so clear, oh, I just need to let go and trust my children as much as I know I should. Oh, I love that. And that definitely resonates a lot because I think as an entrepreneur, you're always trying to make things happen that you naturally can easily go into the determination mode and to-do list and execution when sometimes that's not what's really going to take you to the next level. It's letting go. And like you said, having the path reveal itself. And I love that, Hillary. That definitely resonates a lot. And one thing I want to close on as well that you just brought up, you know, kids, you mentioned earlier in the interview that you really started this business when you had two young kids. 
I don't like the word balance, but any tips that you have for women listening today who are looking to kind of manage their entrepreneurial journey while still being an involved parent, involved wife with their children? Oh my gosh. All I can say is bless you. I'm behind you all the way because it really is a lot to pursue an entrepreneurial career while having children. Although I really appreciated the flexibility. I found a lot of opportunities to be sitting at the kitchen table while my kids were doing homework and I could be doing work myself. So that was a really fantastic aspect of being an entrepreneur. And as I look back on the last many, many years, I actually had three kids by the time I started the business. Oh, I have wow. to make I sure to say that because yeah. Yeah, she'd be listening to this saying, wait a minute. Yeah, I had three <laughs> kids. And she wow. was in kindergarten when wow. I first got into beauty. And I would just say, looking back, I'm so glad I never missed a concert. If there are things that you really want to do with your kids, oh my gosh, I say do them. And whatever's happening at work will be there for you when you're done. It never goes away. And so I have no regrets about prioritizing them at various points, even though sometimes I felt a little bit bad about whatever might be happening at work. And it's just a constant battle of trade-offs and figuring how to make it all work. But I also feel, I mean, one thing I've thought of a lot is it's very likely that all of my children will be in two-parent working families. And so I think it's messy sometimes. You know, sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it can be messy. And showing your children how you work through that is as important as anything because they'll be learning for their own lives when they're likely in the same situation. Absolutely. And similar to how you were kind of raised with your parents, kind of seeing how it works and your parents with their parents, the whole entrepreneurial journey and the messiness. But, you know, I'm just always so inspired by women like you who created their companies when their kids were young, because that's just a lot to juggle. And I'm always so inspired, but it's possible, especially when you have a big mission and a big why like yourself. It's super inspiring. But no, I so appreciate you, Hillary, for being with us today and sharing your journey. And I'm so excited to have our listeners learn more about you. So thank you again for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Yasmin. And I'm equally inspired by your entrepreneurial journey and just wish you all the best. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.